Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Welcome to ES First. I'm Brandon Block. I'm one of the pastors here on uh on staff, and uh, we are excited you're here no matter what part of life you're in, whether you've been here a billion times like Alan Ramazan, or you're just starting to come. doesn't matter. We welcome you, and uh, we are all on a journey to uh, experience God at a greater level. And so part of one of our goals here is to get you from uh, where you are right now to where God would want you to be. And it's an incredible thing. I think we all want that a little bit on the inside. That's why we're here. And so uh, as we study and preach and teach, we preach so that you can become connected with your creator in a greater way. So we preach the books of the Bible. We're Bible believers. We're Jesus followers. And, uh, and right now we're in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is one of the, the stories about Jesus' life. It is a narrative about Jesus living, walking, breathing, all of that stuff right here on the planet. And so we like that because the Bible says that if you want to know God, then you can look at Jesus because he's the exact representation of of God the Father. And so that's why we study uh, particularly the Gospels and the story of Jesus. And so that's where we are today. The book of Mark has been pretty awesome so far. We're almost done. We got about four chapters left, which may take about another year and a half. But depending on who preaches the most, me or dad, but I'm going to be gone in a couple of weeks. So just saying, might be a couple of years. Um, but anyway, uh, we're in the book of Mark. If you're in your, uh, you're in your Bibles to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 12. We'll read today's passage and we'll get started. Chapter 12 and verse 38 says, As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Sometimes I think of the, the teachers of the law like, like Jedi uh, you know, knights walking around with their robes and their, sa- their lightsabers. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Amen. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but A poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. Mm, She gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God that's alive and powerful. We know that it's not just some cute story. It's not just, uh, you know, a a moral uh, story that we can apply to our lives and hopefully be better, but it is living and breathing and is moving in us. God, we make room in this place for your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and lives and move things around and to make room that you want in our lives for you to move. God, I pray you show us deeper visions of, of who we are to become and what you really want and desire for us. And that we would have the courage to move past who we are today to who you want us to be tomorrow. I pray that in this place you'd be real, unlike any other day in these people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Jesus. He shows up in a synagogue. A synagogue is like a local church. They had a big temple, and maybe it was kind of like their Washington, D.C. of church, right? It was like the place. But they had this small governmental kind of church 
things within the Jewish culture. And you could go to a synagogue and you could worship and you could learn and you could read the scrolls and a priest, uh, a, a temple priest would be there and, and, and teach and, and do these things. And so here's Jesus and, and he's hanging out with his disciples. He went to synagogue all the time. People would say that oftentimes that he was against the religion. He wasn't. He was a part of it. He came to make it more like it was supposed to be. And, uh, and he, he did that. So we go to the synagogue and he was invited to preach and, and speak a lot. And it's interesting, um, the first time that he does this, he stands up and tells everybody that he's God. It's a pretty crazy thing to, uh, like, Jesus, would you come up and say something? Hello. And he just reads out of the Bible and basically says, I'm God. Hands the, the Bible back to the, the pastor and sits down. Uh, that would be an interesting way to open up your life ministry. Um, nevertheless, Jesus was kind of unconventional. And so he goes to the synagogue, and he is hanging out, and and I don't know if he got up in front of everybody and had the microphone and, and, and said something or if he just said it loud enough or to the people next to him. He begins to teach, it says. And, and he, he taught, he said, watch out for the teachers of the law. He's in their building. Watch out for the teachers of the law because they come in with long flowing robes. They greet each other with respect and they have all of this honor and, and it's, it's a big thing for them to come into church and they're all dressed really fancy. He says, but they devour widows. Now, I don't know if he had an altar call after that or you know, he invited people to pray or what, but the Bible says that he went back and sat down. Kind of a thing with Jesus, he likes to teach controversial things and then just go sit down. Um, so kind of like Ira hop up here and just say a bunch of crap and then sit down. We'd be like, get that kid out of here. I don't know if they shooed Jesus right out, but he began to gather his disciples around him as they took the offering. So kind of like um, we, we can imagine like we, sometimes it happens here. We put a bucket out and people come down and give their offering. This is what's happening in the temple treasury. And they they come down and they drop their offerings in. And of course, the fancier you look, you want to look really important. And you're like, hey, I'm just coming up here to drop my money in the bucket. Maybe they're jingling their coins or whatever it is they do. And they're looking very fancy and look how much they give. And Jesus is sitting right here. I don't know if he's just standing by the bucket or sitting where Caleb is, but he is, he's just looking at it and he's watching what everybody puts in. Now, that in itself, in any culture, I think is a, a cultural no-no. You don't just look at what people are doing with their money. And nevertheless, Jesus is here watching people dump money in. And he gathers in and has a huddle with all of his 12 after this widow comes up and she gives two coins. In the King James, it's, it's called the widow's might. It's just two worthless little cents. It's the kind of stuff you find on the concrete and your kids want to pick it up and you go, no, just leave that right there. It's dirty. You know what I mean? It's that kind of coin that she comes up and she puts in the bucket and he gathers his, his disciples around him and he says, I want you to take note of this. He says, that woman gave more than everybody else in this offering. And I'm sure they were like, what, what do you mean? You know, maybe, maybe some people got it. We kind of get it. Like, of course she gave more. It's like, no matter if I come up and give $100,000 or whatever, I give out of the abundance. Maybe I took out a loan on my house because I would have to for $100,000. But you can imagine having an amount of money that you would come and give out of, if I have it, I'll give. If, if it comes to me, I would give. It's the kind of idea like, you know, pastor, if I, if I win the lottery, the first thing I'll do is give 10% of my $260 billion. 
It's that kind of attitude. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I had a good night at the boat last night. We went out. You know, it was just for fun. Just for fun. It's not a habit. I've only been there eight times this week. But I had a good night last night. You know, we, we took our annual Vegas. I got, a, I got a friend who's the card player. I got two friends that are card players. One was at my old high school, and I moved here, and I got a best friend, and he was a card player. Maybe it's a, a, a problem that I have with card-playing friends. But I'm a terrible card player, terrible card player. But I had two friends, and every year they take trips to Vegas, and they win. I mean, they win money. And I'm like, you know, could you show me how to, how to play cards? <laughs> but maybe it's that. It's, you know, I, I won 10 grand at the table, and here's a 1,000 of it. You know, it's like, if I have it, I'll give. And that's the way we often look at things. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, when they approach your money or your life, they'll say, you know, don't give until you reach a place where you're so secure in yourself that you have something to give. Unfortunately, that's the opposite of the way that God teaches. And this is not a money sermon. I'm just, I'm just giving you the ideas and principles here, and I'm going to go into something else, and hopefully I'll blow your mind and make you cry, and then I can say, raise your hand, and you'll raise your hand. So... It's the goal of a pastor. Everything happens with the hand raise, right? That's all just fun. It's kind of true, but it's, it's also kind of funny. Uh, if you can't make fun of yourself, who can you make fun of? And so, here it is. They're, they're giving out of the, But the, the Bible teaches that it's the opposite of that. We actually give first. And, it, and actually, if you were to study millionaires billionaires, the first thing they say is learn to be generous with your money. The Rockefellers, who are arguably some of the most powerful and wealthy people in the history of America, uh, Daddy Rockefeller said, if you never give a dime out of a dollar, you'll never give a million out of a billion. Think about that. If you don't learn how to be generous with what you have, you'll never be generous when you do have, right? And so sometimes we give out of an abundance attitude that comes from, if I know that I'll be okay, then I'll give. If, if I have everything done at work, then I'll give you some time, right? If I'm emotionally whole with myself, then I can actually give you something. Well, guess what? You'll never give anybody something of your emotions if you wait till you're emotionally whole. Because I got a secret for you. You're a wreck. You know it, I know it, God knows it, and just the three of us, you know, together, we know you're a mess, You'll never give if you're waiting for a magic moment. If everything is just right for you to finally take your kids to Disneyland, you'll never go to Disneyland. If everything is right for you to finally fulfill your dreams and launch your business, you'll never launch your business. You'll never go when you have enough. You'll never give when you have enough. As a matter of fact, the whole premise in that is that it will require far more than you think it will. So you will never feel like you are enough to move into what God has for you. You'll never feel like you're enough. It's this whole premise of people going, well, I'll go to church when, you know, I got to get some things together so I'll finally get to church. I'll finally get there. I know I haven't been going, but I just, I just, I, I need to get, I need to get back and straight and then, and then I'll, I'll get back in church. If you wait to eat right to go to the gym, you'll never go to the gym because nobody wants to eat right. But when you just work your butt off for two hours, sweating to the oldies, you'll find yourself wanting a salad afterwards. Like, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> so here's Jesus. He's talking. I want to I make a couple different points about this. The first thing, 
God is not against wealth. If you read the whole entire Bible, God is not against wealth. Ali told a beautiful story today, and, and it ties in with this sermon amazingly, and we didn't even talk this week about it. We talked about other stuff. But God is not against you having things. He's not against you having stuff. He's not against you having money. How do I know that? Because the first thing that God did when the Israelites left Egypt, they were prisoners, slaves in Pharaoh's land. He left and he gave them all of Egypt, Egypt's gold. They had more money walking around in the desert as nomads than Egypt had in their buildings. Just think about that. That was God's heart for them. Right? Over and over again, God talks about blessing. Wealth is not the issue. Second thing, he says, they come in with their long robes and they honor each other and they have special seats and they do all these things. God is not against honor. God is not against honor. He's not against receiving honor. As a matter of fact, God says a bunch of different times in the Bible about honoring your father and your mother, honoring those in authority, praying for those that are ruling and over. And, and we should honor them with what we have. And he's not against receiving honor. As a matter of fact, God wants us to receive the glory that comes through him. He wants us to be a part of that. What happens is that we often mistake these things, wealth, honor, glory, living in wholeness, living in, in purity and abundance, living in all of these things that God has for us, and we take them and twist them around into being about us. You know what I mean? It's like, it can be really kind of spiritual to go, oh, don't. Don't do that for me. Oh, it was nothing. Oh, it was all God. We have this, this sense of false humility that's actually garbage. It actually puts you in more thought about yourself than just saying, thank you. God did it. God did great things. Man, that was, that was an awesome sermon, Brandon. Oh, you know, it definitely wasn't me. It was just all God standing up there talking. That's BS. You know it is, because if God was talking, we would all be out on the floor, passed out, going like, ah, okay? And it's not that good. This sermon was not that good. Okay? I know what I had to do to just even work on it and write some stuff down. It took me like a week and a half just to think about what I was going to preach. Writing things down and crossing it out. I know God was not in that. God didn't do that. I blood, sweat, and tears over this sermon. I pray that God uses it. And so it's easy to just go, thank you. When you're raising your kids, you raise great kids. You know you were just holding on by a thread. Right? Say, thank you. Glad they're just not dead. <laughs> He's only six. I know. <laughs> it's okay to say thank you. It's okay to build wealth. As a matter of fact, the Bible says... When you, when you come into the place that God has for you, which is a plan that's full of abundance, he says, do not forget the Lord your God because it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So where's that? It's okay to have wealth. It's okay when we actually, when we actually have provision from God that says, I'm okay. I'm doing well, and we know where it comes from. It's bad when we have and then we limit ourselves, listen to this, we limit ourselves by walking into a place where we push everybody out, exalt ourselves, and live 
in self-sufficiency instead of God's sufficiency. I know people that are millionaires that give money. I mean, money, money. I talked to a guy who was a millionaire, and uh, he's kind of a mentor of mine. He's in the ministry. And he says, he says, I could just name to you, we're just talking, he wasn't bragging, you know, it's easy to kind of feel like you're bragging, but like you have to be able to talk. There's two things that your parents never talked about that Dave Ramsey says, they never talked about money and, and sex, and it turns out they had both. Um, so, it's true. So you've got to get around people who are open and honest about what God is doing with their money. So if you're going to talk about all sorts of different things. And we begin to talk about the orphanages he's built. He says, that one cost a million dollars. I gave him a million dollars for that one. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You gave him a million dollars to build that orphanage? Yes. Meanwhile, he's living in a house with three bedrooms and a small living room. He's like, I could have a lot of things. And I have had a lot of things. Now, this three-bedroom house with the small living room cost about a million dollars. So just keep that in mind. Uh, you're like, what is going on? It's like, well, location, location, location. Uh, but you begin to f- figure out that when we say it is he who gives you power to get wealth, the word power there is the same word that we use when we say strength in the New Testament. It's the same idea. Strength has to do with your wholeness on the inside. If you can give to somebody in peace, joy, love, you have strength, you have power. You have wealth. Ali talked about it today. It's actually wholeness. He's like, you're not perfect because you have money, but you don't have perfection. An idea of this wholeness on the inside. You guys are like, where is he? What is he talking about today? Stick with me. I got a, I got a bunch of stuff I want to show you. But when we realize that we have wealth of all different kinds, we have freedom and we have power. A, we have freedom to do what God wants us to do, Right? Have you ever thought, one day I want to be financially free so that I can travel the world and, and fund missionaries, and I want, to, I want to go there, and I want to build orphanage, whatever it is, like one day, one day, one day, but you can't get there because you're too busy worried about tomorrow, which requires $150 for your light bill, right? We worry and we serve money instead of growing in wealth, which creates independence and freedom to do what God has called us to do. Jesus never had to work a day in his life, Right? He actually did work in his life. In his ministry, he didn't work. He actually moved into places and had provision of all different kinds. He had provision spiritually. He had provision physically. He had provision emotionally. It's the interesting things about Jesus. He cries when his, when his friend Lazarus dies, and God provides for him in those moments. Right? Peter and all the guys are missing their taxes. Peter's like, how are we going to pay our taxes? You ever felt that way? Well, set up a payment plan. He goes, go find a fish, catch it. There'll be money in its mouth. Yes, Lord. So husbands, when your wife says, are you going to work today? Are you going fishing? Just say you're trying to catch the tax money. (laughs) Paying tax bill, baby. Spiritually, he went away to pray so that every, every time somebody made a demand on the spiritual that he had in his life, he had a wealth of everything. It is God who gave him power to get wealth, to get freedom, to get strength, to get everything he needed for everything in his life. God is not against wealth. That's a sermon in itself. But the juxtaposition in this particular place is that Jesus is addressing 
hypocrisy that's happening in the church. They're like, oh yeah, hypocrites. We know hypocrites. As a matter of fact, we know, we could say, what's the definition of a hypocrite? We would say, it's a person who says one thing and does another, but it's deeper than that. It's not really what it is. That's just a symptom of being a hypocrite. Saying one thing and doing another. Because everybody in here is a hypocrite about something. Right? How many times have you sat down with your father-in-law and he tried to tell you about how to be a billionaire? Tell you all the ways you could get in shape, how to grow your lawn, and none of those things were available and active in his life. How many of you sat down with another woman of God and she began to tell you about all the things you needed to do? Nothing was working in her life. Isn't it amazing how we are hypocrites about everything? Well, you need to stop. Don't eat anything after 8, knowing full well you was down there at 1 a.m. trying to find something in the refrigerator. Right? We're hypocrites. But it's not that we just say one thing and do another. It's deeper than that. Hypocrisy is what is the attitude behind your actions? It's not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. As a matter of fact, the teachers of the law that came down and gave money in their buckets and they would put things in and jangle their coins and have long robes and greet each other, the whole issue was that privately they were devouring widows. And I, don't, I, I bet there was probably a whole list of things that Jesus maybe said there and they didn't write down or maybe he could have said or whatever, but I can't think anything much worse than devouring a widow. Someone who has lost everything. It's like the widows of that day depended on their husbands to work for them because women really couldn't make anything besides prostitution and, and, and selling themselves into some kind of slavery to work for somebody else. It was a big deal. This is why their sons took care of them, the brothers of their husbands. All of those things were very important because they weren't really treasured a whole lot. And so if you're a widow, it was like curtains. And he says, they devour widows. It's the worst of the worst. Look at their pretty robes and all of their money. Look at the way they honor each other and clap for each other and sit down so nicely in places of honor. Look at all that. They devour the lowly. They devour the widows. And sits down. It's because the attitude doesn't mass match their actions. I wonder what places in your life where your attitudes don't match your actions. Pretty much everything, right? You go to work, you walk around, hey, how you doing today? I'm just doing great. Starting Skippy to be here. No other place I'd rather be. Attitude doesn't match your actions. Well, you know, just another day, another dollar. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's just Monday. It's getting closer to Friday. I wonder if it's 5 o'clock on Friday, if it could be 5 o'clock somewhere right now at 9 a.m. I got a little 5 o'clock somewhere in my back pocket. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody's like, oh, my. Somebody's like, oh, yeah. Uh, I got a little 5 o'clock somewhere. Uh, back to the sermon. When your attitudes don't match your actions, what happens is, is who you are privately doesn't line up with who you are publicly. 
who you are when you're by yourself, the thoughts you think, the things that come out of your mouth. Anybody talk to themselves? I'm a, I'm a self-talker. I, I talk to myself constantly. I have conversations with people that I should have had 10 years ago. Like, yeah, I really told them, you know, like just talking to myself, walking down the, it's crazy. I'm crazy. <laughs> just want, I want to be completely honest about that because my attitude to <laughs> match my actions. Hypocrisy can, can creep in when you're by yourself. It comes from a place of pointing fingers at everybody else and elevating yourself instead of saying we're all in this together. So looking at somebody else and say, well, if they would, then I would. If things were different, then I would. And so the second portion of this, Jesus sits down, he watches the offering, and he brings to light this actual dishonored, devouring widow's things. And he says, look, he says, they all gave out of their abundance they gave when they had it they gave because they had access they were willing to stand up and show off to everybody because they have so much more at home it's not about money it's a, get this I'm not preaching about money I'm preaching about something deeper and we'll get there is that they gave when they knew it wasn't going to hurt them. Mm. In other words, they came to show off, but they didn't come to show up. It's different when somebody shows up. Showing off is one thing. It's, it's great in the social media area because, because it's so easy to have a picture or a post about who we are, or point fingers at somebody else, and if somebody's just smashing somebody else with, you know, their buttons on a keyboard and just, I think, blah, 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 and hating everybody else. The, the, the thing is about, about that level of hate, that level of talk, that level of finger pointing is, is so below any forward progression. They, 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 they will never be anything more than that, than fingers on a keyboard. Think about that. Next time you try to like one of those posts, just think about the kind of person they are and then begin to pray for them because they will never make it out of that pit in that, in that condition. So here they are, living a show-off life rather than a show-up life. Like, you know, it's easier to take pictures of your kids at the mile run. And I might take pictures of my kids. I'm talking about myself. It's easier to take pictures of my kids at the mile run, create an awesome post, put it on there so everybody knows I'm a good dad, rather than sit there with my son on the turf and just breathe in and out as heavily as we can because we just ran two laps and don't tell anybody else about it. Someday when he's 25 years old, he's like, remember when you tried to run two laps around the track with me, Dad? No, I don't remember. I was trying to show off on Instagram. You come to church and we want to put on the smile and act like everything's okay. We hold hands into the church. I held my wife's hand in the last month and a half, but I'm holding it now because people are watching to show off instead of show up. When she needed me most, I didn't show up. Your friends and you. You, you, you buy everybody dinner, and oh, you know, I can't do a lot, but drinks are on me. You show off, but you don't show up when they're lost, dying, hurting, 
when everything's going wrong. Well, I, you know, I just don't know what to say in those moments. And it's, you know, I give out of the abundance that I have rather than the places where I'm a little rough. I have, after all, I have the money. If there's anything that I can do, I will do it. But since I, I can't do anything, then I guess I, I won't. This is the attitude of the teachers of the law. I'll do what I, what I can. So they show up with their robes and they show up with their money. Hmm. And then there's a widow. She comes and she gives two pennies. She comes and gives two pennies. And I can't imagine what it feels like to show up with two pennies when everybody else had money bags. I wonder if she thought anybody was looking. Deep in my heart, I don't think that she thought anyone was looking because I don't think she cared. I think she brought her two pennies, not to show off, but to give God her heart. Because the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, your affection, your motivation, your vision, all follows what you do with your money, which will show you that I love coffee and I love tacos. Where does your money go? Now think about that. Woman comes down, she gives two coins in front of everybody. I can't imagine anything more embarrassing than this is all I have. This is all I have. If they even looked at her, they would judge her she knew it. If they even saw her, they would maybe laugh or tell stories about her. I know her. It's a shame. I knew her husband. Now she's got nothing. Maybe they were the ones that devoured her and all she had left was two pennies. It's interesting to think about. But actually, when we show up, we show up, it requires something deep in our hearts deep in our lives. It requires us to come forward with everything. If we give out of abundance, we give out of the best, which we can hide everything and look pretty on one hand, but to show up requires a certain level of intimacy. And intimacy requires a certain level of vulnerability. Vulnerability is not a happy and wonderful thing, because as a matter of fact, I've worked really hard on what you got right here. Why would I want to show you behind the curtain? Why would I want to show you more than what you already presume I am? Why would I want to go any further than this? You like this. I like this. I don't like who I am later on. I don't like who I am in my worst moments. You know, I got a lot to give you right now with this microphone in my hand, but I don't have a lot to give you on Tuesday morning. Vulnerability is a tough thing, but it is the key to intimacy. Intimacy, it's been said, is, 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 it can be broken down like this. Into me see. And if you can into me see, we become connected in a way that maybe nobody else can quite understand. This is reserved for some people in your life that you don't really get it with other people. You, hopefully you have it with your spouse, but the problem, the, probably with your spouse, you guys have been doing this tango, do do thing long enough. Oh, he does his thing. I do my thing. Oh, you know, that's just our, our deal and we have it worked out. But do you ever just sit down and go, into me, see? 
Do you have some friends that you, you sit down with and you open up your heart, you just lay everything on the table? This was me then. This was me then. This is how I felt. And through tears, even though it's hard and even though it's difficult, you go, into me, see. And they go, I never knew. I had no idea that was who you are. Vulnerability leads you to a place that gives you everything. Become connected with people. This is why soldiers come back and they have a brotherhood, sisterhood with people that they've been in the trenches with. Why? Because for some reason out there in a foxhole, they were into me see with the person next to them. When you serve with somebody, when you live with somebody long enough and you begin to see things and you begin to talk about it and you become vulnerable with them, there's something that happens that will not happen when you just give the best of who you are. There's four different things that scientists have, in 1982, a man wrote a book about. He was looking into intelligence, basically. He was talking about this idea of IQ. IQ is interesting because we want to have IQ, right? Like Caleb's got a really high IQ, man. He's just so smart. He can do trigonometry and, and geometry and statistics. And he's flipping around. My, my brother-in-law, this is why Ryan is the redheaded stepchild. We know because he's so much smarter than us. He's not from our bloodline. <laughs> We're all idiots and he's a genius. The kid has an IQ, you know, like intelligence quotient. My goodness, how high is IQ? Have you ever met somebody and they go, they go that guy is a literal genius, no, like not like not like like you're talking about. Like his his numbers are over the mark. Literal genius. Like, yeah, why can't he talk to girls? I mean, what's this problem? I <laughs> high IQ. He can process things. And so through this this obsession with IQ, they've they've gone deeper and deeper, and they've actually found out that we have more quotients than that. That we actually have an EQ, an emotional quotient. Like all the women are like, hey, "Amen. I'm high on the EQ." Can't do trig, but I got your emotions. <laughs> All the brothers said. Emotion, look to the side, just look at me. <laughs> Emotional quotient. And then we have what is called the spiritual quotient. It's the ability to, to remain in peace and to, to kind of have a, a certain level of connection spiritually that some people are better at it than others, right? And there's a physical quotient, people that are attached to their body. Like I, growing up, you know, people would talk about like, well, I didn't like the way that make me, made me feel. Like I didn't notice anything, you know, like uh, I ate something. And I was, my brother Johnny's this way. He's like the biggest sensitive physical person. I got sick from eating at that restaurant. Johnny, you got sick at every restaurant. Like you can't eat McDonald's all your life, bro. Yes, I can. Don't, don't judge me. <laughs> I'm letting you into intimate part of my life. No, just kidding. So, so Jesus, Johnny would be like, I didn't like that. This was that. I'm just like, how did you even know, bro? And going back in my life, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that maybe affected me too. Physical. It's people that are aware of how their muscles are reacting when they're playing sports. Now, most of us don't realize this, but after 40, we're like, wow, my back hurt from, what was that? Well, I, I walk the dog around the block, you know, like you become aware physically what's going on. Some people have that earlier on. They can just, they're just aware of what their bodies are doing. They know how to make it respond. So we have intelligence, emotional, spiritual, and physical. And these are all places that each of us excel in a different place. It's like some of us are very smart like Ryan. 
Some of us are very emotional, like, just think of somebody. <laughs> and don't look around. No, what I mean by that, it's like people are empathetic and compassionate. They can, their, their emotions, like, what are you feeling in a moment? Some, a lot of guys, like, they just, they get emotional and they're like, I don't know, I gotta go outside and just beat something. You know, like, they can't, they don't know what to do with their emotions. And so, um, some females are that way, too. Uh, but emotional people connected to that. And so what happens is these four different things is, is, is we th- really think we're doing something when we give somebody the best of us. We walk in and we're like, you know, men are like, you know, they're, they're physical. And they're like, yeah, you know what, I, I, I mowed the lawn and I cleaned the gutters and I, I went out and I worked and I provided and it's all just this physical idea. I'm, I may not be the smartest guy, but I can, I can work with my body. And, and, and so I gave to you. And all, of, all the while, a woman's going, why, why, don't you, why don't you connect with me? They've given the best of themselves of what they knew to give. They've given from an overflow. And they even walk around with a little bit of a robe and kind of flash it off. Look at that. That's why you see a man out on the curb looking at his lawn like, Turn around all the other houses. Look at that. I did that. Physically. I see you over there, Steve. Working behind the computer all day. You can't do this. We take the best and we measure with it. To be quite honest, I'm, I'm very heightened emotionally and spiritually. I can, I can walk into situations and, and I can... I can almost read people's thoughts about what they're feeling emotionally or spiritually. I spent most of my life being a very spiritual person. So you come in here and you, you actually want to hear me with a microphone. Why? Because you're like, Brandon, I don't know. There's just something. He makes me, makes me get it. Like, I, I don't know how I do that. That's the best of me. You don't know me intimately because I have this microphone and I speak to your soul. You don't know me. I've given you the best of me. I've given you what I do very, very well. I've come and laid my offering of the best of me. What you want to know is the worst of me. And if I were to give you the worst of me and say, look, this is all I got. I'm not very good at this. Can you do something with this? You'd be like, I know Brandon. And so many times we're giving to each other, saying we're intimate, saying we're vulnerable, when we're just giving the best. We show up and we help somebody move and they go, there you go. You know, I, I had a little extra money and so I just I bought something for my friend. You know, I'm really emotional, so I checked on them, and I, I just called, and I, I texted them, and I'm like, here you go. Just, just emotional. Just, I was just thinking about you. Why? Because you're good at that. You're good at being emotional. I just felt like there was something maybe that you were kind of bummed out about. How did you know that about me? I'm really good emotionally. I have a high EQ. Empathetic. Some, it happens in relationships. It's like some guys or, or, or girls are, are really good at sex and, 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 and they, they connect sexually and they walk into a relationship like, I gave you my body. We had a connection. You're laughing. It's true. They can't connect emotionally, but they can connect physically. I gave you the best. I gave you the best of me. And they can't go any further than be vulnerable because that's the best of what they had. I may not be much over here, but I gave you that. And that's where we live. We're actually teachers of the law that walk in and give our best, but not willing to give everything. 
That's why our relationships are messed up. That's why our, our friendships are messed up. That's why we bite and devour each other. That's why we put up walls and we go, I used to be that person's friend, but I'm not anymore. You know, I thought they were this thing, but then when I needed them the most, they didn't show up. They didn't know how. They couldn't. All they had was their best. You were tricked by their best when they just couldn't give anymore. It would make them be vulnerable. So the woman with the two pennies, she comes down and she gives her two cents. And Jesus goes, that woman gave everything. That woman gave everything. I told you before, God is not against wealth because it has nothing to do with wealth. It has nothing to do with money. Help me out, Ryan. It has nothing to do with things or stuff or honor or robes or nice clothes. As a matter of fact, I really want to buy a pair of pants. It's way too expensive. But they fit so nice. I think God is telling me to buy them. God's not against any of those things. God, from the beginning of time, created Adam and Eve, and they were his, 100%. The thing that broke the mold, that broke the relationship, that broke the idea of what, how life was supposed to be was when Adam and Eve stopped giving God everything and went a different route. So Jesus comes to give his all again. As a matter of fact, the whole Bible is about giving. God just, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. That he gives, give, give. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, cannot live. It's giving. So when God addresses this, He's really saying that what he said, maybe 15 verses before this, he said, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. It's the most important thing, he says. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all my heart, my emotions, all my mind, my intelligence. With all of my soul, my spirit, and all of my strength, my physical, love him with everything. There's something that happens in that that is actual worship. It's not a cute song. It's not yelling from the top of your lungs. Oh, this is my jam. For every person that loves the jam, there's somebody who just wants to get past the music so we can get to the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Please just get me to the Bible because we all play on our strengths. And after this, it's like, oh, it, I, that worship is fine, word is fine, but I'm really looking forward to the softball because that's the fellowship. I just got to work. I got to work. It's hard for me to sit there so long. I just got to be moving. We want to give the best. As a matter of fact, God says, bring your worst. Bring your nothing. Bring the places you're weakest at. Just give it to me. Give me your two cents worth. I don't care. Say, God, this is all the attention that I have. It's just, just two, two cents. This is all the day I got. I, I, I don't understand the Bible like Brandon, but I'm going to read something. 
There you go. You got it all, man. That's all I can handle. It's fine. He just wants it all. Not because he's greedy, not because he needs it, but simply because he wants to replenish your life. He wants to grow your life. And so he says, love me with everything. I don't care if it's two cents on the altar. It's the nature of your heart. And that kind of vulnerability leads to intimacy where I can see in you. The first thing he said to Adam was, where are you? Where are you? It was never about where he was. It was about what he was willing to show up with. Show off all you want, but until you show up with everything, you'll never have closeness with God like he desires for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of you are dealing with secret sin that you hope nobody finds out about. Some of you are dealing with deep emotional pain because you feel in a moment somebody damaged. They, they've forgotten about it. They just moved on. They didn't even know about it, but you're living with scars on your heart because somebody emotionally scarred you. Spiritually, you just feel like you're not enough and God keeps saying, I died for you. I give to you. I love you. You're worth it. You're worth it for me. And you keep running away from God and spiritually you're drained. Physically, you're wondering how God could ever heal your body, restore you, move you to the place he has for you. How you can ever be the person who wakes up in the morning and goes to work and provides and and do everything that you're supposed to do and called to do because you just don't have it like somebody else. The comparison trap is killing you. Intelligence, you're just like, I just don't get it. I can't understand all that. He's like, I didn't, I didn't ask you to get it all. I just asked you to give me your two cents. Watch what I can do with your mind. There was a time in my life when I couldn't read the Bible. It wasn't until I was about 30 years old that I finally really started to read the Bible. Imagine that. I remember when I prayed, I was at a concert, Christian concert. The guy says, just pray this. Give me a love for your word. And I, I was so hungry. I was like, God, just give me love for your word. I don't know how. I can't do it. Next year and a half, I started Bible college. God moved in my life in a mighty way. Things were opened up because I just gave God my two cents. Would you give God your two cents? You think it's worthless because it's not as flashy as your neighbor. But they're giving out of what they already have. He just wants your worst, your two cents, your least, your two cents, because that's all you got. That's the most. Father, I thank you for my friends in this room. I pray right now you move in their life, show them great and mighty things which they don't even know yet. Increase their vision. Increase their heart for you, their love and their passion for you. Give them a greater sense of your glory. Let it be tangible in their body to feel and to know that you're God. In the times when they feel like they're emotionally, they don't add up. If I was such a good Christian, I wouldn't feel this way. Just, I pray, God, that you just remind them that they could, they could give you that two cents. They feel like morally they're a failure. They're just over and over and over again. It's the same thing. And Father, that they could give you that two cents. They need to try, Lord. 
And trying just involves surrender, opening up and being vulnerable. And I pray that you just remind them that that vulnerability is where power is found. It's in the rest of God. Restore people who are broken, wondering, trying to decide where they're going to go, what they're going to do, how they're going to make it past the things that have left them broken. Remind them, two cents is enough.